Welcome. Uh, if you guys are hearing this, that means you are listening to this on the main feed of our podcast. Uh, typically, these movie review podcasts are for Patreon uh, members only, but we want to uh, give people a bit of a preview as to what to expect from those shows. So we are releasing this episode uh, out to everybody on our feed, uh, coupled with the fact that it's a timely movie, both in terms of the cultural zeitgeist and in terms of the themes touched upon in the movie, uh, we decided that we would share out our review of Bright to you guys uh, so you can kind of get an idea uh, of the sort of things we do over on Patreon. So if you like what you hear, um, check us out on Patreon. It's $3 a month for access to Movie Left, our politically themed movie review podcast. We've already covered They Live, JFK, uh, Bright Now, and we have a bunch of other movies coming down the pike. So if you like what you hear, uh, check us out over there. You will gain access to our backlogs and you will get access to the episodes as they get released. Uh, That's patreon.com slash move left. Again, that's patreon.com slash move left. And I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Movie Left, a movie review podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Anthony Montrulo, joined by my co-host, uh, Jeremy Elwood. Hello. How are you doing? Eh, good, good. And my other guest, uh, she's my co-host on Move Left Idiots, uh, LaDonna Loki. Howdy. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Um, technical difficulties aside, <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, <laughs> today we are reviewing Bright. Uh, the 2017 Netflix original film uh, directed by David Ayer, written by Max Landis, starring Will Smith and Joel Edgerton. Which I couldn't uh, believe was on Netflix right away. Yeah. Really good. We were, we were talking about doing it, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to be able to get to the theater. I was like, no, nah, dude, it's like on Netflix. Like, you just watch it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm so oh, happy. Shit. <laughs> um, which is an interesting uh, thing. Uh, it's an interesting dis- uh, distribution model, and that's actually going to be a topic of discussion later when we talk about the way critics felt about this movie. Cause I think that definitely uh, factors into it, but yeah, let's just get right into it. Uh, I guess uh, we can just go through our notes, uh, talk about notes. stray observations we had. Well, you know, let's start off like this. What did you guys think of the film? Uh, Jeremy, what, how'd you feel about the movie? Oh God. All right. So, um, I'm going to start back before it was actually released. Uh, I saw Will Smith and I'm like, oh my God, got to watch it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a big Will Smith fan as an actor, um, more so than as, even as a rapper. Um, <laughs> but I really liked it on a lot of different levels that I'm sure we're going to get into throughout this, this discussion. Um, 
I really enjoyed it. It had moments where I was like, eh, but overall, I thought it was really well written. I thought that the message that it had, which I, I know for a fact we're going to get into, was really well portrayed. Um, it was a lot more in your face than I expected with the message. Yeah, not but, so. But it was well done. Mm-hmm. So I got to give him props on that. I thought it was a really good movie. Cool. LaDonna, how would you uh, feel about the movie? Well, first I got to say, I'm a much bigger rap fan of Will Smith, DJ Jazzy <laughs> Jeff, and Fresh Prince. Kicking it old school. Oh, I grew up with him, so I, I got you there. I, I I understand completely, but God, he's a great actor. <laughs> I don't know if you could really call it rap, but you know, <laughs> um, but, but that said, no, you know, I was surprised. Um, the, the trailer made it look really good and, you know, certainly a lot of parallels to, to things that we're seeing today and you know, black lives matter and, and all of this kind of stuff. Um, it was, I will be honest, more violent than most of the movies that I tend to watch, but I still was able to kind of move that aside and really enjoy it. And, um, I appreciated the effects and, um, you know, I always love magic in movies. So that was a kind of a cool aspect <laughs> of it too. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, actually re- real quick, I'm sorry, Anthony, real no, quick. Madonna said that, that I, I have to comment on too, that uh, the whole magic in movies thing. And I think that the way that they combine the mythological fantasy with the modernity of our current system and where we're at as a society to me was plus me being a, a recovering pagan as it were um <laughs> i thought they they hit it on the head so well in so many regards to that and again kudos to them yeah no i agree i i, I really enjoyed it uh i i think the and and we'll get into this after we talk about our observations from the movie but i think the critical response to this movie is absurd um i i can certainly understand not liking the movie I think the 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 constant articles written about how it's the worst piece of shit ever and how it's universally panned are just absolutely unfounded and ridiculous. I mean, I you know, I just just looking at some of the metrics. Uh, obviously, Rotten Tomatoes has a twenty eight percent with critics, which is really bad. Wow. Um, but <laughs> the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes out of fifteen thousand rankings is eighty eight percent liked it. Average rating of four point three out of five. It's so um, crazy to see such a difference between the critics and the audience. I mean, it, it really tells you that there's there's something going on. Well, and well, so, I, uh, real well, quick on, on, on that, yeah. you know, Anthony, and I discussed this briefly in private too. Um, I don't trust critics. I, I don't. It, it seems like every time I see a critic review of a movie, my opinion is completely the opposite of that critic. I wind they up with that too. Yeah. They certainly have an agenda. I mean, there are critics who I respect who I don't always agree with. The other thing, uh, so it also, uh, Google users, 93% like the movie. That's just like a simple yes or no, you know, like or dislike. And it's got a 6.6 on IMDb, which doesn't sound great, but that's actually pretty good if, if you are if you follow IMDb rankings. Is that I mean, Friday the thir- Yeah, Friday the 13th, for reference, has a 6.5 on IMDb. So, so why IMDb don't we take a step back and pretty... just go over the, the main plot of the movie for anybody that, that maybe, I mean, if you haven't seen it yet, you should see it because there's going to be yeah, spoilers. Yeah, we're going we're to spoil this, but... the shit out of this movie. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'll, we can just, I'll just go through my notes and we can kind of comment on all the, because it, it's a loose amalgamation of the plot, I would say. Um, so, I you know, I thought the, uh, a, a cool technique that I liked uh, in the movie was that the graffiti at the beginning of the movie, it kind of 
told the story. It's it, it, it laid a lot of groundwork for the story in like a really short amount of time in some cool ways, like with like the you know how all all creatures are created equal, but elves are more equal, and like there was the thing about like how you know Gyrak lives and like the Dark Lord, like all this shit. Like it was a really interesting little setup especially you know have it i watched it twice so upon second viewing there are a lot of little things i caught uh in terms of foreshadowing that yeah, I, I literally just got done watching it uh the second time before this podcast so i could like <laughs> brush back up on it yeah yeah no so that was cool um, well I, you know i think about the idea of globalism and you know there's always this discussion that if humans were to ever discover life on other planets you know intelligent life on other planets that it would be a unifying force for humanity and so you know this movie begs the question now they didn't really get into where the orcs or the elves or these other you know beings came from but you know it certainly begs the question okay so if if that were to be the case would humanity unite and, you know, some of the, um, you know, dissent or the divisions within our society, would they be erased then? And, and would we now, you know, move to hatred of some new other, whatever that might be? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's actually something I noticed too uh, when I was watching it for the second time that, that my brain took a note of. Um, so Officer Ward's wife, you know, Officer Ward is black, but played by Will Smith. His wife is white which doesn't make anyone really blink about that, except for in context of the movie, you realize that basically what it's saying is humans are now the white people. Yeah. And you know what I mean? When you, when right. you make that, when you there's make that parallel. There's almost nothing made of black, white, like dynamic in the movie, which is, it was interesting. Right. Right. It, it was it, it, basically everyone that was human was, was now the, what we have today as the white people. Mm-hmm. And then you have the orcs who are basically as, you can imagine what are considered today the the black slums of society, um, and then you have the elves, which are the elitists, you know. And it all kind of yeah, yeah. And I, I really like took note of that because I thought you know that's that's kind of cool because in the movie, even today, like even 2017, 2018 now, we still have people who are like, oh my god, that black man were to, married a white woman. Mm-hmm. But in right. the movie, the context was not there. The context was, okay, this happens. You know, this is, this is how people live. Yeah. And I just, I noticed that. I thought, okay, I see where, where this parallel is going now. I mean, I don't want to give too much credit, but I think maybe the, the idea is that, like, humans, it's, it's almost human nature to find an other and find someone to hate. So, like, if right. white people don't hate black people, they're going to hate orcs or fairies yeah. or drag. You know, it's like, right. it's like you, you think we're going to be all unified, but no matter what, you're going to find some fucking, <laughs> you know, something to hate. If you can't, you know, hate black people, you're just going to be like, all right, well, fuck orcs then, you know. <laughs> they they did they did some bad shit two thousand years ago. Their ancestors did some bad shit. So I mean, it's like is it human nature or is it something that we can potentially overcome? You know, get back to you know the ideas of Nietzsche and you know that that man must be surpassed and that there needs to be something you know after man or you know the the uberman. I mean, we're not going to talk you know Hitler or any of that kind of stuff, but just the idea of getting past ourselves maybe there is a way to get past this division and divisiveness and i mean the movie explored a little bit of that certainly as the you know orc became you know the other Mm -hmm. and and how um he was embraced you know sort of back into his own world and and by humans later 
Well, do you, I wonder, like, if Hitler exists in this universe, or like if slavery existed in this universe? Like, so many. Well, if there was a line where, um, where uh, Poison, um, the gang leader, yeah, yeah, the guy um, in the wheelchair, yeah, when when uh, Ward told Jacoby to get back in the get in the truck, where the specific line from Poison was, "Listen to your master, get back in the truck." So hmm. I think that mindset still exists, and I think in, in maybe, this world, maybe orcs were slaves in in this world. Like maybe they, you know, maybe that was like what actually. Well, happened. and there's certainly the idea of you know an ableism at work. You know that 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 person felt you know less of a man for being disabled, wanted to be restored to you know his previous condition. So clearly, there are still some other biases that exist in this universe. Well, he actually yeah. even he even even said that when he was trying to get the wand in the bar, he even said, you know, um, let me walk again. Let me make love to my wife again. Um, get rid of the shit bag. And he holds up the philosophy yeah. bag. Right. It's so, almost enough to make you feel bad for him, even though he's like a heinous character. Most of the movie, it's like, Oh shit. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's brutally to... murdered about 10 seconds later. So if you, but, you know, if you uncover, you know, if you look at people and their motivations and you look back at their story, there's generally a reason why they've become the way that they've become, you know, if, if they're evil, um, you know, maybe they've had some battles with others, you know, that, that have turned them in that direction. I mean, there's always free will in it too, but, um, you know, the backstories on these people, we didn't get, I think enough of to really understand that. I would have definitely liked a a little bit more exposition for something you mentioned earlier, LaDonna, um, about, uh, how the orcs and the elves came to this world? Were they always here? Like we don't know that in the movie. We don't know if this is just an alternate universe kind of thing, right? Or if they came, and well, if so, where did they come from? So Netflix released a little kind of addendum, uh, I assume canon uh, video, basically like the history of magic. And in that, it, it basically posits that magic is responsible for a lot of things. We like the uh, the building of the pyramids was done with magic, so. I assume that in this universe that these creatures have just always existed. So it's interesting to see that we basically more or less evolved as a society in the same way with these magic creatures, you know, in terms of like we have entertainment and like cars and like norm, you know, shit that we would, we, that appears to us as normal. Like it, it's basically the same just with, fucking centaurs and elves and orcs well you know just as a fairy lover it was kind of funny to me to see that that fairies were you know the equivalent of flies in this (laughs) universe because you know they would be so revered by us if we found them well fairy lives don't matter today (laughs) actually i gotta give props on that too because um in a lot of pagan lore um the majority of the fae are actually mischievous and annoying and I won't say evil, but I'll say dark. Right. So I got to give them props because most movies portray fairies as like glittery butterfly winged Tinkerbell wish granters, you know, even Tinkerbell. If you really look at her, she's, she's devious in many ways, but yeah, we we still revere them. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think a lot of interesting research was put into this movie in terms of developing the lore of like all these creatures that have, you know, um, there are a lot of based on a book. No, no, no. Max Landis just wrote the script. Okay. Uh, he, he he said it was basically like his he, he loved End of Watch, which David Ayer directed, which is basically this movie, but like with just humans, like it was just two cops, you know, trying to survive the night in Gangland, L.A. 
and he's like, I love that movie, but I, I, I would love to see how that movie would play if there was like orc cops. And then that kind of, I think it's like snowballed <laughs> from there, you know, That's awesome. <laughs> which is a cool, it's a cool idea. Um, there's a lot of really good one-liners in this movie, which is, you know, kind of a and, hallmark. Of and Will always Smith by movies. Will Smith. Yeah. Always by, well, no, actually Jacoby has some really funny, uh, shit too, but, um, I don't like you very it's actually, much anyway. He does, but he's so understated in his delivery that oh, it, you I, I love it. his performance. <laughs> I, I, I think he's so fun. I think he kind of steals the show, even though he's. I'm kind of with you a little bit on that, Anthony. I, I like hey, Ladonna's points valid because he is he is understated. He's, he's great, yeah. At, uh, but under- it's that subtlety that makes it so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> when they're like in the car and they're listening to like death metal music, he's like, "This is one of the uh, greatest love orcish love songs <laughs> ever written." I love that whole scene. <laughs> They they have a great chemistry, the two of them. Like they they just have this great rapport uh, that you you immediately kind of buy them as like this, you know, uh, like at odds, but ultimately they secretly like each other. Duo like it, it doesn't feel forced or like you know it's it's um it actually <laughs> it reminded me a lot of another movie we reviewed. They live like there's a lot of just kind of ridiculous one liners that I can't decide if they're amazing or awful. Like don't you know, they're both. Don't hate me. I've never seen They Live, and I I really want to, but I can't find it anywhere. I'll, I'll hook you up. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, um, can can I can I tangent this for a second? And get yeah, it, yeah, sure. Pull out my theater degree and and start like analyzing some really cool mechanics that I saw in the movie that I thought were just fabulous. Yeah. Um. I've been doing fight stage combat choreography for almost twenty years. Mm-hmm. The stage combat choreo for the Inferni. Was, was great fucking amazing really good yeah absolutely amazing like i could see every move but it was so quick that if you blink you miss it but it was so They're perfect almost like and feral but like like controlled it was this yeah. weird it was gorgeous um i i just i I had to actually watch that scene. I think I re- I rewound that scene like four times. The the main scene where they're like just destroying everything in the club where they just destroy everybody yeah. and the SWAT shows it yeah Oh my God, just gorgeous. It actually made me think back on The Matrix and how, you know, The Matrix at the time that it came out, the the way that it did things, you know, seemed so new and fresh. And this for me was reminiscent of that. The flow of it um, was so smooth. I I don't understand how critics could could pan it. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get into that at the end. But the other thing, I just thought this movie was fucking beautiful. Like, it was beautifully shot. The effects work really. Uh, some of the strongest CGI I've seen in recent years. Like it, it, it's very non. You could tell David Ayer has a has a really strong affinity for practical effects because there's right. a lot of practical. I mean, you know, Jacoby I think looks great. All the makeup and whatnot. You could tell it's just practical stuff. It's not CGI. Right. I mean, it, if I were uh, a person that went out to movie theaters, I would have been willing to pay to see this in the theater. So. Oh hell, I would IMAX this shit. I would have totally 3D IMAX this. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. But the uh, colors, on the, on the like CGI, the richness. Yeah. When they did use CGI, um, it was subtle. And I like that. Yeah, it was that. tasteful. Yeah. I, you know what? One cool little thing of, I assume, a combo of practical and CGI. I love the way the wands are designed, where they're almost like dripping this energy kind of. Yeah. Where, where, yeah, where I, they noticed have... that, I noticed that in my second watching, where it was like just kind of when she was uh, resurrecting Jacoby and it was just like dripping into the pit. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's amazing. 
how they're all like they're like almost like blindingly bright and they're dripping off like this i I just thought that the whole look of the movie was really well done which is actually a trademark of Ayer's you know work however people feel about him i happen to uh, well i I shouldn't say enjoy suicide squad i i I happen to think it wasn't as awful as as people say i don't think it was a good movie but i don't think it was a bad movie but i think he's got a great uh eye for directing no matter how you feel about maybe some of the stuff he's written also he wrote training day which is one of the best fucking cop dramas of all time so i mean you know uh it's hard to you know not everyone's not every movie everyone writes is going to be an awesome success but he's got a pretty good track record um so let me uh i (laughs) i i help me out on this one is fairy lives don't matter today like hilarious or fucking awful is it like the worst line ever or the best line ever it's both the answer is yes I just laughed so hard though when I saw that. I, I mean, like, That's you know, it, it takes away, there's no subtlety in the message or what they're sure, trying yeah. to parallel in our society. So, in that sense, I could see where a critic might have been like, oh, you didn't really need to go there because there were enough other parallels. And yet, it was a blunt instrument with which to send a message of, you know, for those that, that aren't paying attention. Yes, there are parallels to our current world. This is very relevant. This is timely. So it was it was and, terrible and wonderful. <laughs> well, you know, we said that about They Live, the exact same thing, about how it's not subtle at all, but it really beats you over the head with its message of, you know, we're being ruled by by the, our oppressors, the 1%. You know, like, I, I think that's... That's uh, that's why I, I genuinely think this movie will find a second life as, like, a cult movie. I mean, it, it already has been doing well with audiences, but... I think critics like 10, 15 years from now look back at it the way people look back at They Live and be like, yeah. Rocky Horror. Yeah, Rocky Horror. (laughs) There's a ton of cult movies that were just, that we know is fucking amazing that were almost universally panned at the time, you know? So. um, I want to pop into a negative on the movie real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because I'm curious to know your guys' opinion of this. Um, About an hour in or so, roughly about an hour in, you know maybe a little more than half. It seems like the movie just gets redundant and it goes to a point that, that LaDonna made about the violence, which I don't mind the violence. I, I like violent movies. Um, but it seemed redundant where, oh, look, they're running again and something's blowing up again. They're right. running and something's blowing up. And mm-hmm. to me, it, that didn't really move the plot forward so much as them taking the journey that they were having. Like, yeah. I would like to have seen more of the journey and less of the redundancy. I think there's something that happens in these movies with directors when they know they have a certain budget where they go, okay, well, I'm going to fucking, you know, expl- it's like Mythbusters. I'm going to make every big explosion that I can. I'm going to, you know, wreck every car that I can. And, and they can go overboard with it. I think they could have had a, a lighter hand with that and given us more exposition. But, you know, I, I guess... I do think that they wanted this movie to be a blunt instrument, not a precision one. Um, You know, not everyone wants to sit through, um, you know, a really subtle, you know, foreign subtitled, long, deep, you know, whatever. I think there's, there's definitely an audience for this more obvious angle. And I think they did it well. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Anthony. I was going to say, you know, and, and, Ayer's actually typically a more subtle director. I mean, in, you know, in recent years, he's been doing stuff like Suicide Squad, but he's always been a more subtle writer, director. I mean, he did Training Day, which is a very moody movie. There's not a ton of action in that movie, uh, you know, other than a few major set pieces. Um, 
end of watch, you know, street Kings. He, he, he's very big on like the, the, the cop dramas and the, you know, uh, fight for survival kind of like stuff. So it's, I don't know. I, I, it's interesting. I, I think he, he does action amazingly well for somebody who's not, uh, whose first instinct is not to do that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, and you know the budget was uh, an estimated ninety million, which is a lot of money, but it's actually not a ton of money for a big budget genre movie now. I no, mean, not especially when you're casting people like Will Smith. Yeah, you know. Will Smith probably ate up you know a quarter of that. that. <laughs> yeah, um, like how the, did they make it back with Netflix though? I mean, I guess it's just it's such that a bizarre... they they expect more you know people to want to you know pay for Netflix if they have more original content. I guess that's well, the idea. Most most people have Netflix at this point. I mean, if the majority of people who have internet have Netflix. Yeah. And so I can I, I can totally see why it would be like that. And of course, that's going to also lower the budget as well. Like, you know, if you're if you're making it for fucking iMac, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Just to run the goddamn camera. Right. So, you know, if they're going to do it on Netflix, then that lowers the budget immensely. Now you can afford to get these these uh, higher paid actors. So. It's it's an interesting, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Well, so the thing is, they did a shit ton of marketing too for this thing, um, but supposedly they didn't spend as much on marketing as they did targeted marketing through Netflix. I heard like basically what they would do is like, since as you said, everyone has Netflix. Basically, they would tailor their marketing towards your taste. So like, if you really watch a lot of cop dramas like the image and the trailer you would see would be one thing not if sure you like not sure how i got it then i watch a lot of like air disasters and <laughs> well that's the thing <laughs> that's the thing with what they said it doesn't matter what you watch because if you watch romance they're going to give you an image from the movie that is it, that makes you think that there's more romance involved if you watch more sci-fi or fairy shit you're going to see an image like yeah. that they've just it's crazy good what they can do now with targeting it's all, yeah, it's all algorithms. It's it, it's And they're really kind of on the forefront of this whole model of distribution, um, which, and you know, I don't want to get into that until the end, but that's, I also think a lot of uh, critics' opinions are colored by that. Um, but let me, uh, let's see here. <coughs> um, you know, a lot of, a lot is made of like the kind of racial element of Bright, uh, which I think you know, you, like you guys were saying, it's blunt, but I feel like it gets a little muddled sometimes because, like we said, it's like, you know, there's not so much a black versus white struggle. Like, they all seem to be, like, cool with each other, but there's more of, like, a orcs versus humans sort of thing. I, I think the stronger aspect of the movie was, like, the class commentary because I think that kind of came through. I totally agree with you on that, 100%. You know, with the elves kind of being the, the, the elites and the 1%. Um, and even like, you know, even the orc drivers, uh, were, were, were like snobby that like they came across in the, in the rich section of town. Well, there was even some subtle, uh, theological, um, uh, discrepancies, like uh, not discrepancies, but like what we're going with, with what we're going through with religion here, where we're at today in our society, there was a lot of parallels to that too, but there were a lot more subtle, like something you mentioned earlier, like a war 2000 years ago. Well, what the fuck happened 2000 years ago today? Jesus, you know, and and we have we have that same mentality in a lot of a lot of our uh, our our, citizens, you know, our population that 
separates based off their theological views. And I think a lot of that yeah. played into it as well, because if you actually go back and look, it's not just class-related, it's not just race-related, but it's, it also goes into the orcs believe this, the yeah, elves believe this, right. you know? The something of circle of light or whatever that there was that something that they is. didn't get into that I wish they would have more so though because you know if in this universe and again we don't know when the orcs came to be or the elves came to be or if they always were but but if it was a new edition then certainly you know there's a perspective in our world that that you know at least by some that that white people are on top or perceive themselves to be you know if it were a caste system the highest level but if in this world then elves are now above you know humans or caucasians or whoever used to be on top i didn't really see any resentment um by by humans now being middled in some way and i would have liked to have seen a little bit more play on that yeah, There's a I, lot, actually, I, I, mean, actually, I actually disagree with that um, because there was, in fact, uh, when about at the beginning of the movie, when they were going through Elf Town, uh, Will Smith said, I fucking hate Elf Town. <laughs> and as the movie progressed, you actually saw a few other of the um, like they were sidelines. Like just kind of lines that were thrown aside. Oh, there's a fucking elf in here. Like when they were going through the. Climbs, yeah. Yeah. So. What is that? An elf? Like, so there were those those subtle moments, but you are kind of right, LaDonna, that it wasn't a little bit more, I, I don't want to say obvious, because I wouldn't want it obvious. I, I, would, yeah. I like the subtlety, but yeah. I do think there should have been a little bit more portrayed in that regard. Well, when they were in Elftown, the first thing that came into my mind was Paris Hilton, honestly. I mean, that's, you know, what, that <laughs> was sort of their, like one of those elves. I think yeah, their model. The <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so, you know, it, it like the the interesting thing to me is I, I feel like you're both right about this about how they did and they didn't touch on it. The biggest problem with this movie is that it's not a series. Like this this would be a much better series. I and see not, that. I can see that. Like I and I I really enjoy the movie, but I, there's so much shit that they just shotgun at your face at a thousand miles an hour that, like you said, it it's like two subtle lines, and if you're really paying attention or if you watch it multiple times, you pick up on it. But if you if you don't have the benefit of that and you just watch it like the first time like most of us did you just kind of absorb it and enjoy it it, it it's it, it's tough to world build such a an interesting unique world in a 2 hour movie where you need to advance a, a frenetic plot you know well on the other hand though um i i, I cuz i agree with you i could see this as a series but on the other hand i don't want it as a series because yeah. what ends up happening with series is you know, that redundancy that I mentioned earlier, after usually not even before season one is over, the series just becomes redundant. Yeah. Um, let's look at sitcoms. Sitcoms are the same fucking show over and over and over in a different situation. Um, I, I wouldn't want that. However, with that said, this is definitely one movie that I'm looking forward to the sequel, which is rare. Yeah. So I, I want to see more. And, in fact, I hope that with the sequel, they actually give us more exposition because I'm really, really curious about how this world came to be and yeah, how sure. each of the characters came to be where they're at. Yeah, I could see a sequel, but, you know, I, I mean, I think in the Netflix ecosystem now, we've gotten so used to binge watching 
that we're, we're not even satisfied with something being a season long anymore. You know, like it needs to be two, three, four, you have to keep drawing yeah. it out. And, and then it does become painful. You know, why can't we accept something as maybe it is just a one season and done kind of thing, which is something, you know, longer than a, a movie um, or a movie and a sequel, but you know, it doesn't have to be four seasons. I think we've just gotten so greedy um, in, you know, I like this, I want much more of it. And then it winds up really ruining good ideas. I, I blame you, I, 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 I can answer your question of why can't we settle for that in two words, LaDonna, two words. You ready? Ready. Stranger Things. <laughs> well, I, I, honestly, I actually blame J.J. Abrams because fucking Lost ruined television for all of us as much as I loved it. <laughs> we cannot accept unanswered questions anymore. It makes us fucking nuts because like he he strung us along for six seasons, fucking adding question on top of question. And in the end, he was like, oh, they don't really matter. We're like, what the fuck? We just watched this for six seasons. What do you mean they don't matter? <laughs> So I really think we're all like kind of PTSD about like movies that leave us with a lot of open threads and unanswered questions or, or series <laughs> that do. Because... It speaks to our issues as humanity. We, we just can't yeah. have any unanswered questions or. <laughs> well, I mean, that is humanity is like searching for life's unanswered, you know, the answer. I need to closure, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I want to I say um, uh, the movie that we're, talking about here bright actually had one of the best one one of the things that really bothers me with movies is deus ex machina and oh there's a big one in this movie there's a big one but the way they did it i actually appreciate when when she raised him back when she brought him back it was a deus ex machina but it was very well done and he still had to fight from that time forward so it wasn't like Deus Ex Machina, movie's over, like a lot of movies are, you know? So it it, it, it actually almost isn't, isn't a Deus Ex Machina, because they do set it up, like, with subtle hints throughout the movie that she's a bright and that she can, you know, do this shit. Well, um, Ward too, but... Yeah, well, that's really, like, foreshadowed when you watch it a second time, which was, fu- I thought, cool as that. You know, it's even foreshadowed in, like, one of the opening scenes where they have the uh, the guy with the sword in the car... Yeah. <laughs> and he says to uh to um to Nick he's like uh he oh, you're blessed. the pro- you're the prophesized one and the one that you're with is the ble- is blessed. Yeah. And all this shit um and they pukes in their car. <laughs> but um <laughs> it's just really interesting. Um something else along the critical acclaim or you know sort of the the criticism test um the Bechtel test on this movie. Um, it passed three out of three, so it has to have in the Bechdel test at least two named uh, women in it, uh, women who talk to each other and who talk to each other about something besides a man. Um, I guess they're calling this in some places the, the Gina Davis test or um, some similar things, but did pass the Bechdel test. Um, I think mm-hmm. we have some progress on females in movies in general with this one, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, 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 you know, Tika was a really interesting and strongly written character. Um, I, I think most of the Inferni in general, I, I really enjoyed the way that they were portrayed as these kind of like inhuman killing machines. There's not a ton of backstory on them, but I mean, you could argue that that's to the benefit of keeping them mysterious and, you know, yeah, um, and I menacing. Think that's, I think that's the point too, because they're, they're elves, but they're, they're rogue elves. Yeah, so. scary fucking elves, like, you know. 
<laughs> you know, the funny thing is, like, so in the beginning, uh, we meet the Magic Task Force guys, who are basically like the FBI for magic. Um, and, I, and I thought that that guy was, like, evil from the start. <laughs> and then I was saying to LaDonna, I don't know if that's, like, internalized racism against elves because of the way they look in this movie, but... He turned out to be like a good guy, basically. You know, I, I kind of think that they wanted you to, to question whether he was good or bad, the way that yeah. they portrayed him. Yeah. Well, they have very evil-looking features. I mean, they have sharp teeth. They have these kind of cold, like almost uh, White Walker-like eyes. It's like you, you you immediately see them, and you're like, oh my god, these fuckers look evil. But well, it begs the question: Is it possible for good guys to have sort of devious, strategic, dark behavior, but still be on the side of light? I think the answer to that is yes. That Sometimes you have to play the game as it's being played, which you're playing with darker forces that, you know, want the destruction of humanity or whatever it is that they're looking for, you know, certainly power plays um, that you have to, you know, find a way to, to play on that level. But here's another question that I have for you guys. Yeah. So you're in the scene. The wand is there. What would you do? I mean, are you, are you talking about the scene where, where uh, Ward picked it up? Yeah, basically where the, you know, the police are, um, you know, ready to take it and, you know, oh, say how oh, 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 okay, that one. I mean, if I, well, I don't know, because I don't know how much they actually know, because I mean, it seems like wands are almost like a myth in this world, not a myth, but like nobody has ever really seen one. Like they seem to be so rare that it's like, well, I heard if you touch it, it'll kill you. But like, if you don't know that, I might fucking pick it up. Like, I don't, <laughs> you know, like. Once I've seen somebody pick it up and explode, I wouldn't fucking touch it. But well, they knew that that what a bright you know the idea of what a bright is is the person who if can touch who it can and not die. It, yeah. So it, there had to be that knowledge in the movie. But maybe they think that's like some you know mumbo jumbo or whatever. Like they're like, ah, that's probably bullshit. Well, like, either some of them did, or they just didn't care and wanted it enough that obviously they they blew themselves yeah. up for it. Well, he he. He put a glove on before he picked it up. Well, yeah, he did. So. And he's like, oh, my God, it's so cold. So, you know, like it, upon looking at it and seeing the way it almost like vibrates matter around it, I would be like, I'm not fucking touching that thing. But um, that, you know, that scene's great. Uh, I love the, the that scene when they actually come outside when he's, you know, talking to uh, Nick about like, you know, did you uh, did you let the that orc go that shot me and all this stuff? And then he he says to him like who's behind me? Read him out left to right, and he he tells him like where they're positioned. And then they have that awesome uh, slow motion shootout scene, <laughs> uh, which I, dude, would the he's coolest shot like, in the movie. He's like the true LAPD though. He fired like fucking twenty shots into them motherfuckers. <laughs> I know, right? It almost for makes real. me feel a little awkward, like rooting for some guy who's you know a, a rogue LAPD cop fucking gunning people down, but. He also was gunning down corrupt cops. So it's like, all right, it's fine. It's not, I, I have to turn that element of my brain off from like, oh my God, cops are the fucking word, you know, like that. Yeah, I'm not sure a taser would have really worked in that situation. No, no, no. no. He had to fucking kill them because they were going to kill him. Absolutely. Uh, so that was cool. That whole scene was amazingly tense and well done. Like with, with right after that, with all the, uh, with Poison and his group rolling up on them and then they get in the car and they're kind of following him back to the car. I was like tense that whole time. The first time I watched it, I was like, Oh fuck. They're like, they're so fucked. They're so fucked. And then they're like banging on the windows. There, there was a line in that scene though, that I really enjoyed. And that was, uh, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, oh, wait, I have um, the actual line. If it's the, the holes thing, go ahead. <laughs> um, so they, they were just taking shots and, uh, Will Smith yells over to him. You're right. Any holes. And then Jacoby goes, only the ones I was born with. 
how are your holes? That, <laughs> that wasn't like, the line, but that was great also. Well, then um, Will's like, how the fuck do you make a shootout awkward? Awkward, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was one of the funniest lines in the movie. Um, <laughs> and that's and that's like the great thing about Jacoby's character is he almost has this kind of childlike innocence yeah which makes him really empathetic and relatable um because he, he's almost like a simpleton but he's not it's 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 an interesting i will admit uh, though i was confused in in the one car scene when he was basically saying that he's reading will smith's face and determining that he's needing some leaven i couldn't tell if he was wanting to give it or or if he was joking about it i, th- I think that was his way of joking he, he's got a very dry sense of humor in the movie <laughs> Yeah, they really didn't get to what his, I don't know, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter, his sexual interest or orientation or whatever it was, but that would have been an interesting thing if he was orc and also gay. Um, <laughs> I don't think I don't he know. was coming on to him, but I, I I think he was trying to be funny, but yeah, yeah that, that would have been interesting. Um, yeah, the one, there's one little, one complaint I'll have that a lot of movies do, it's a trope. So Will Smith turns around, shoots the four guys, really cool scene. Um, he does this, that annoying movie thing though, where he doesn't immediately explain why he shot them. Cause Jacob, cause Nick is like, get the fuck down, get out, you know, turn around. I'm going to handcuff you. And he's like, yo, you stop telling me to shut up. Like, no, just tell him like, look, they were going to kill us. Like I, it, it takes him like five minutes to say that. And it makes me crazy well, in I, movies that a lot I, of people do that. I typically I'd agree with you, but I think in that, in that situation, the way that it was playing out was he's just trying to calm him down, maybe trying to calm him down. And yeah, are you going to try to talk over him? I mean, he's obviously louder at this point mm-hmm. and there's not much that you can say until you can get him calm enough to world fucking listen. You know what I mean? So I can, I can buy it in this point. Yeah. I don't know. I always have trouble suspending my disbelief. And that was one of the areas where I thought it, it was really hard for me to, to suspend it there and think that he wouldn't have just said yeah, something that's, and I, that's I don't just think like I a movie have. trope that always kind of annoys me but i mean i i live with but i felt the know. same in in most of the action scenes at a certain point when it went on and on and on it's like okay these two would have been so fucking dead like 12 times over <laughs> in these car chase scenes so that was a little tough for me to watch well they oh, cert- oh go ahead well certain yeah certain ones i, I actually really like the way that they were done though because it seemed more or less plausible that people who are well-trained could get at it. Like the, especially the first, the one we were just talking about where they kind of are running away from poisons kind of thugs where they're like being chased by the car, but he kind of, you know, shoots them from behind the bulletproof. And then when the door comes off, he kind of, you know, gets rid of them because they stay a step ahead. I, I, I wasn't, I didn't think that was super implausible. I think some of the stuff where they managed to evade the inferny for so long. And then that's, that's my problem right there. Yeah. Um, the Inferni who, who, who fucking took out a SWAT team single-handedly. It's yeah, like, the in, the Inferni are fucking badasses, and they're like killing everybody in the blink of an eye. And yet, these two random LAPD officers can just like match not only match them but beat them. Well, I'm not sure how that works. You know, I mean, my one my, the one thing I could say that maybe they could explain it is that they could just say, "Well, we are the pro- we're we're in a prophecy, you know, we're the we're the chosen ones." So like we're meant to fight the Inferni and defeat that. I don't know. I mean, that's the only kind of like movie logic I could use for that. Although at one point Will says yeah. we're not in a prophecy. We're in a stolen Toyota Corolla. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I mean, if, if you look at the fight scenes, if you look at the actual choreography um, between what the Inferni were doing before and what they were doing with uh, Jacoby and uh, Ward, their choreography slowed down. Yeah. So basically it, it allowed it gave that allowance 
for Jacoby and uh, Ward to defeat the Inferni based off the choreography alone. Now, if the choreography had kept up the pace and they were still badasses, then they'd have to explain why all of a sudden Jacoby and Ward are suddenly badass. We're like fucking ninjas. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, the one small thing you could maybe say is that they didn't fight them till the end of the movie, so maybe you could say that they were weakened by fighting off an entire SWAT team and and all these other people that they had to fight. I mean, that's the only thing I could maybe justify. It's a little bit of a plot hole, potentially. Put it that way. Well, of all the things that I have to suspend my disbelief on in this movie, I mean, my God, there's fairies and there's all sorts of other stuff. So, <laughs> oh, so did you guys hey, notice hey, the hey, dragon, hey, hey. like, just really <laughs> subtly in the background? I did, yeah, over the cityscape. That was so cool. I was like, oh, my God, that's such a cool little piece of world building that they could potentially use um, in the future. And, you know, the one big thing that they talk about in this movie is how, like, when the Dark Lord returns, which I assume we're going to get, if not in the next sequel, in a future sequel... Um, you know, back when the Dark Lord first reigned, uh, Jirak united the nine armies against him. So I wonder if the nine armies are nine species in this movie, which Netflix has tweeted out, like there are nine species of different, uh, different species in, in Bright. So So the only ones... Oh, what yeah, I kind of want to understand is, you know, I don't know that they've established before what is the level um, of, you know, views or something else that, that would make them say, okay, yes, we need to make another one of these. You know, oh, they like, greenlit it right today. They, they green, greenlighted it? Yeah, yeah. They're, they they announced officially that they're, they're making a sequel. Max wow. Columbus is not going to be uh, writing it, but they're, they're everyone else is involved still. Well, should we mention briefly why he might not be writing it? Well, so, yeah, we can talk about it a little bit. I, I don't want to go too much into it because as of now, there's no actual accusations against him. Like, the, there's a lot of people saying on Twitter, like, oh, well, I know a friend who knows somebody who was assaulted by him or harassed by him. But every firsthand account that's come out has been like, well, he's a huge dickhead, which, yeah, he probably is. Um, but, you know, until who is someone. Land- Landis's or. Yeah. But until someone actually makes an accusation against him, I don't really want to give too much uh, time, airspace. Whatever it is, there's enough of something there that they didn't go with him for the next one. So, well, well, that might actually not be the case in this case because he distanced himself from this movie while they were making it because he said that he was not allowed in on the process. They rewrote a lot of his script. So I think he was not. I, I think they love the concept, but they wanted to do their own thing with it. So I do think that he was not going to be involved from the get-go, mm-hmm. which is kind of what happened to him on Chronicle, which was his first movie. Like, he wasn't involved in the sequel of that either, which they never ended up making. Well, um, you know, I guess there's a, a case to be made for being an ideas person or whatever that pays. Sure. I want that yeah. job. He's a great ideas guy and pitcher. Like, if you, he does a lot of, like, pitches where he would just describe movies he would think up. But maybe in his execution, you know... To some, leaves something to be desired. And he's um, the kid of somebody famous, right? He's John Lenz's son, yeah. Yeah, John so Lenz, that's how he gets kid. in those rooms. I was going to say, you know, I mean, because there's lots of people out there that have great ideas, but they don't have the access. So that's sure. his. It, it, uh, it certainly helped him in yeah. his career. He, he's, I think he's talented in his own right. I, I really enjoyed uh, some of his stuff. Um, but I, I do think, yeah, sometimes it <laughs> he might be a better idea uh, guy than necessarily screenwriter. But. You know, um, so, but yeah, so they are making a sequel. Um, 
So I think there's a lot of interesting ground to cover there. Um, just go through. Uh, you know, one thing I found weird is that there's all these creatures, but Shrek still exists in this universe. <laughs> I I took big issue with something on that. He called him Shrek. Shrek's a fucking ogre, man. There are no ogres in this universe. Well, I mean, so. I, well, that's my question is like, is, uh, is Shrek an orc in, in this universe? Like, I don't know. I think it was just a commentary on the similarity of look, you know, in, in them. I don't think you have to necessarily, he was basically saying like, it wasn't like you Shrek looking motherfucker or something like yeah. that. So I did, I did like the, uh, the end of that line though. Why don't you go back home to Fiona? Like, like yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> that was funny though. Um, you know, when they first kill Nick, like, it's a r- really shocking moment, because obviously you don't realize he's going to be resurrected. Um, like, I, I expected at that moment, I, I think this was done intense. So, have you guys seen Training Day? No. No. Okay. So, there's a scene in Training Day, um, at the beginning of the movie, where Ethan Hawke's character, who's Denzel's partner in the movie, he saves this girl from getting, like, raped by these two crackheads, right? Um... Later in the movie, Denzel pays off these these kind of these Mexican gang dudes to kill Ethan Hawke because he's on to Denzel's corruption, right? And they have him like in a bathtub, and they're gonna like blast him in the face with a shotgun, basically. And this this girl's wallet falls out of his pocket, and the guy, one of the gangsters, picks it up. And he's like, "Yo, this is my niece's wallet. What the fuck are you doing with it?" Like, you know, thinking that he did something to his niece or something. So he explains to him, no, 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 I, I, I stopped, uh, you know, I stopped these two guys from mugging her because I guess he kept the wallet because she dropped it or whatever. And and they call up, uh, the the guy calls up his niece and and she's like, oh yeah, some white some white boy like cop saved me from these two guys, um, and they let him go. Like because of that in the in training day, so I think knowing that and knowing that David Ayer would direct it or wrote and direct it or no he wrote that he didn't direct it they played with the audience's expectations on that because almost the exact same thing happens in this movie where uh, uh, Nick lets the kid go, the kid of, like, the guy who's going to kill him go. And the kid's like, I can't kill him, Daddy. Save me from, from uh, you know, getting killed by the cops. Well, there's there's a theme in that, and, you know, that, that, you know, goodness will win or that somehow by being the good guy that you'll be saved in the end. So there's there's something attractive about that idea in movies in general. Well, and, and typically you don't kill off a main character in a movie, so I thought that coupled with the, my expectations from David Ayer, his previous work, which was, you know, this this very famous movie uh that won an oscar so it's like oh so okay this is kind of tropey he's just gonna let him go the same way they did in training but all right that's fine i'm glad they'll survive that's how they'll get out of this but no you just fucking blast him in the chest with a shotgun um and then like as we talked about there is that that great scene where she kind of resurrects him and the other thing that was cool was that she pulls the wand i didn't even notice this until the second time she actually pulls it out of her wrist. Cause I was wondering where they were hiding it this whole time because it wasn't in uh, Jacoby's bag or whatever, but then he, that she like had it in her wrist, I guess. It was I like, figured that she had it, but I didn't really see that part as for where she had been holding it. Yeah. I didn't notice until the second viewing. She literally like pulls it out of like a slit in her wrist. It just kind of opens and she like pulls it out. Hmm. Um, Ward, what happened? 
Nothing, man. <laughs> He's like, oh, man, I feel great. <laughs> oh, man, he's so funny in this movie. Um, so the, um, it, it, it's definitely clear that, like, Nick is, like, the second coming of Jirak or some some sort of, you know, the fact that he's the prophesized one. Because, like, they said in the movie, like, Jirak was an unblooded orc. Uh, which Nick was up until the end of the movie, meaning like he wasn't, you know, accepted into the clan of works and all this shit. So, right. um, the last scene I, I fucking love, well, not the last scene, but like the, la- the scene at the pool, like at the, you know, I love the way that whole thing goes down. Um, I loved one of the coolest shots in the movie for me, other than like the, the slow-mo shootout was like, Will Smith picking up the wand when he find, where where he like realizes he's a bright. I love the way that that whole thing was shot and like it. it, it I don't know. I just thought that was a really well done uh, sequence. And it's a like I I the first time I watched it, I genuinely didn't pick up on that that he was a bright. Maybe I'm slow, but like I, I that was really cool to me. Uh, you're, whole... you're slow. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> upon second viewing, I was like, oh wow, I should have picked up on it because there's a lot of foreshadowing. Uh, you know, where they're talking in the beginning about like, oh, how one in a million humans is a is well, a bright. The, the two things that I knew, uh, on even on the first viewing, um, shortly after the movie started, was that he was going to be a bright and Jacob E was going to get blooded. Like I, both of those things were predictable just because the way the dialogue portrayed it. Um, yeah. But and then with the guy, like you were talking about, the guy with the sword, with what he said and what he was doing. It was pretty much clinched at that point. Yeah, he's a bright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would echo that. Yeah. So, no, I mean, so that, I went through most of my notes there, but I, I, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, as far as the reviews, well, do you guys have any other notes about the plot? And then we can kind of get into the, the response to the movie. I've got, I've got one about, uh, you and I discussed it briefly um, <clears throat> in, in DM. A scene that could have totally like just not existed. It served no purpose to the plot. Was mm-hmm. the scene with the internal affairs? Because yeah. after that scene happened, it never came up again. Like one way to pull that back and and make it relevant to the entire movie would be maybe uh, maybe Ward was actually recording the whole time that that discussion was going on with the other cops, where they were yeah. ta- you know talking about killing Jacoby. That would have actually brought the IA scene into play. That's but what we, I thought was going to happen. Yeah, I that's thought right. for sure that was going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I thought that he was recording that, and that would have brought it into play because that's how we got the recorder and blah, blah, blah. But none of that ever came back. So that entire scene was pointless. I kind of and, feel like maybe they had planned that, and maybe the other stuff was cut out um, just to, you know, in the interest of time. And, yeah, they could have cut that part, too. Well, then they, 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 they should have cut out the whole IA scene then because Probably, um, something yeah. that Anthony brought up when we were discussing it was like, you know, he, he said that um, I think it was to show the, the actual racism to, to enforce the racism, blah, blah, blah. To which my response is that wasn't gathered in the locker room. Like, I think it's right. pretty clear in that locker yeah. room scene how racist they are, you know? Yeah. Well, the movie is not subtle. I mean, I, I think that I, I think maybe they left it in for that reason because they thought it illustrated it well. Um, and how it's almost a benign racism. It isn't like, oh, we hate orcs. It's like, oh, come on, we got to get rid of this guy, but we can't just fire. Like, you know, 
It, 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 maybe that was why they kept it in, but I think it was a, a little bit of a dangling thread in the movie. Um, but I, I think we could have saved five minutes on the movie by pulling that scene. You, you know what yeah. I mean? Well, you know what's interesting? The uh, Ayer said the he, the first cut of the movie was like three hours and fifteen minutes long, which is insane because the movie is two hours long. So it's like, what the hell did you cut an hour and fifteen minutes of from this movie? Like, yeah, I'd actually like to see the you know the outtakes or some of the extra footage and see what they left out. Yeah, definitely, yeah. that'd be fun. Yeah, I, I've actually been meaning to read Landis's original script too because it's apparently very different. It's I can tell because I've watched enough of his stuff. I can tell his flourishes where a lot of the dialogue I think was his because he's he's very good at writing that kind of funny out of place dialogue like the you know, like uh, you know did you have any holes and like only the ones uh, the Lord gave me or whatever <laughs> like he's he, he writes a lot of like uh, inappropriate inappropriate to the situation dialogue like he's really good at that so I, I tend to think a lot of that stuff was his. Because Ayer has always been a lot more of a serious writer, um, but but he took a pass at the script after the initial script Ayer yeah, did. It, so the dialogue was actually pretty good in the movie. Um, I enjoyed I it. I can't remember off the top of my head. There were a couple places where I'm like, "That's really fucking stupid and cheesy <laughs> and dumb." But for the most but Will, part, the Will Smith can deliver good. cheesy dialogue and make it awesome, though. Right? Also. <laughs> Will Smith can make anything good. Uh, I hate that motherfucker. <laughs> um. Where <laughs> I love when like the, he's talking to the IA guy or the uh, the magic uh, task force guy, and he's like, "Who's this?" He's like, "Some motherfucker with the wand." Like that's a goofy line to anybody else, but Will Smith <laughs> kind of makes it work, you know. Um. So, as far as the critical review of the movie, um, there's two elements I think at play as to why it was universally panned by critics. I mean, it was called you know the worst movie of the year in a year uh, in which the Emoji movie came out. So I think that's a little bit ridiculous. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is really rough. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's so unfounded that you have to say, like, what is behind the... Uh, what motivates people to say it's the worst movie? Of the I've seen a lot of reviews that are like, don't watch this. It's like, but it's free. Like, we all have Netflix. Why would we not watch it and just make our own... Jo- and it's like, nobody... I, I never see a movie review being like, don't watch this movie. Um, and it makes me wonder if they don't want them to watch it because uh, of the fact that it's a very new and different distribution model, and it's going to make uh, not not ultim- not like in a short capacity, but it, it's going to really change the way that movies are made. It and, changes and the, way- the Hollywood power structure definitely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that they must be feeling threatened by that, and the more success that things like this have. Um, the more the more threatened they'll be. So yeah, that's a really interesting point. Well, well you know. I I don't um, I I don't necessarily agree with that, and the reason is because there will always be go out movies one way or another. Oh sure, sure. As, no, no as technology improves, they might change. Like we have IMAX 3D now, so that's changed. But it could go to but, a fifty fifty split eventually. Maybe, maybe, but I don't see these critics jobs being out of business because people are always going to want to go out to do something. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's getting, you know, 
inequality and things in our society, it's getting to a place where it's too damn expensive to go to a movie. Like, yeah, I don't want to really do it. Is. And I, I could afford it, but I feel like I feel bad paying, you know, 20 bucks for a ticket or something like that. There's other things I could do with that. This is almost like the Uber lift of the movie industry. It's like a, a new way to approach a stale uh, industry that kind of had a monopoly on this form of entertainment for so long, you know? Yeah. Um, well, the interesting thing to me about the about critics and why they may they might may not like it and why they may think it threatens their livelihood. So, say you're a critic and movies live or die. Traditional Hollywood, you know, in theatrical, you know, wide releases live or die on critical re- response. I mean, a movie like Batman v Superman, one of the most anticipated movies, you know, of all time before it came out got fucking hammered and pretty rightfully so it's pretty awful um and i love batman the you know the character and whatnot but the movie's fucking awful um got slammed by critics and it vastly underperformed and it barely made its money back and probably after all the massive uh marketing costs didn't make its money back it was probably a net loss uh whereas a movie whereas one of the marvel movies you know the avengers any of those movies uh are generally inoffensive to critics and always make their money back for, you know, for the most part. So movies live or die based on critical responses. This movie is nobody has to go out and spend 10 or $15 to go see bright. So if a bunch of people trash it, it doesn't really matter because people are still going to say, Oh, well I really wanted to see that when I saw the trailer, fuck it. I'll watch it. I have Netflix. Like that's to me, that's the interesting part and why, why critics may be worried about, you know, the fact that their power is being stripped away from them to an extent because they are so used to setting the taste and people are like, well, <laughs> great, that's nice that you don't like it. I'm going to still watch it. And, you know, they the estimates were that 11 million people watched it in the first week. Well, you know, uh, one of the people in the, one of the threads that were on Anthony in Twitter um, said that they only watched like 10 minutes of it. And I didn't even think to ask why I, I i'm kind of curious now as to why they only yeah, watch yeah, I, I mean fuck the first two and a half minutes are credits so <laughs> but you know why did you it, watch it starts off pretty quick too that's interesting that i liked the music with it too i thought the music i did was, too yeah yeah it was great um and, and that's always been a big thing with ayer he's a very big he's very big on weaving thematic uh music in and actual music not score yeah it was spot on everything that the tone of it you know just the emotional stuff behind it yeah so um i i, I don't know what i mean what do you guys think about that in terms of why critics may do you, do you think there's any merit to that that they were and even if it's an unfounded fear that some of their power as critics because i think critics can, can be a bit egotistical i mean you know you think <laughs> yeah um they you know they think they're tastemakers so I, I do wonder if they think like fuck we said this movie's horrible and all these people went and saw it anyway so well, I, I do wonder it's not just a distribution method but it's the way that they're marketing you know like we talked about the way that they're you know taking a, a person that likes romances and giving them a different picture yeah. than they give to you know whoever else so you know yeah that it's definitely usurping some of their power now i'll be honest fuck critics i never listen to them sure. i see a movie based on 
whether or not it looks good to me. I never listen to what they say. And I think to Jeremy's point earlier, I, I very often disagree with them. Um, so, you know, I, I think that their power probably is dying. And, you know, this is just another way of, of getting things right to the people um, and going around them. And clearly it's working. Well, yeah. and, and, and to that point, um, keep in mind, a critic's job is all opinion-based. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Like, I'm, I'm going to go off on a, on a tangent here for a second. Like, you guys know I, I do beer reviews. Yeah. When I do beer reviews, I don't take into account whether or not I like the beer. I take into account its qualities. How does it fit the style? Um, what, what are its intricacies? All of that sort of thing. That's how a critic should approach a movie. Unfortunately, they don't. They approach a movie based on whether or not they like it. And so it's all, I would say probably 90% of, of a critic's review is going to be opinion-based. Sure. And so what I've come to realize is that I don't hold the same opinion as the majority of critics. I just don't. They, they've been wrong almost every time that I've seen a review. And that goes for, for plays as well, like live theater. I'll, I'll read the critic's review and then I'll go see the show. And it's like, I agree with nothing that you said. <laughs> it's also just possible to enjoy something that's just really bad. You know, there, there's a, you know, you can talk about cult classics or whatever. It's possible to, <laughs> yeah. It, it's hard for me to do that. But some, <laughs> some cult classics, like, I, I love my Evil Dead. <laughs> I, I love well, my Evil, De- Evil Dead. I, I wouldn't say Evil Dead's bad, though. Oh, Evil Dead is horrible. Are you kidding me? You think so? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, yeah, I don't know. I'll it's, give you it, one. Showgirls. Showgirls was so painful oh to me when I actually saw, I actually saw that in the theater. I don't know why. Don't ask me oh, it's why. It's so funny to watch. Now, I couldn't though. even sit through it, but now I, I really enjoy it because it's it's again it's so bad. Well, there's a whole there's a whole you know ecosystem of movies that are almost made to be that like that. Now you'd look at like Sharknado and shit like that. It's you know. I think it's much better though when it's organic. When it's a movie like The Room, that's not made to be bad. Like Sharknado to me is a little too winky at the camera. It's like, yeah, well, we're making a horrible movie on purpose, you know. Well, you know, Rocky Horror was uh, meant to actually be a legitimate Broadway play, and it flopped like three times before it ended up being a cult movie. <laughs> but that, I fucking love that movie. That movie's great. Um, I don't know, and maybe I don't know if it's I, I don't know if that's good because it's bad, but I genuinely think that that's a fun, enjoyable. What Rocky Horror? Yeah, <laughs> I was. I played every part but Magenta. I, I got to fulfill <laughs> my role. Did you really? I used to always go to the the midnight yeah. live action ones when I was in high school. That's that's what I used to play in. Um, I actually, funny story. Uh, as we get off on a tangent, off right here. Um, so I went to the uh, New York. I forgot what year. Nineteen ninety five or ninety six. I went to the New York Rocky Horror Convention, and I was just a patron. And their Columbia got sick. My roommate was playing Magenta, and their Columbia got sick and couldn't do it. And my roommate goes up to the director. And up to Sal Piro, who was like in charge of the fan club nationwide, and says, Hey, my roommate knows how to tap dance. And the <laughs> next thing I know, I'm playing Columbia at, on fucking New York stage for, <laughs> for the convention. That's funny. That's beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, back to Bright. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, so, you know, I think, I think there was certainly some of that. I mean, I don't know how much of the reviews you guys actually read, but a lot of it was a, like super weirdly personal, like, you know, about like the director or about the writer or about the distribution model. Like there's very little talk of the actual movie because like most critiques of the movie I see are very 
unfounded in a lot of those reviews. So I, I the only reason I talk about it so much is because the, the disparity between the critics' reviews and the audience reviews is maybe the biggest gap I've ever seen. Like in a, in a, I actually, in a big budget I actually movie didn't like read, this. I actually didn't read any of the reviews. Um, I that was intentional. You didn't um, want to color your. Well, I didn't read it beforehand. I didn't read it until after we do the podcast. I might go back and read some now. But um, go back and read because you'll 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 laugh at how hyperbolic and ridiculous most of them are. It's like I don't know where like what movie these people saw. But it's interesting. Yeah, I might do that. I might I might <laughs> go back and check out a couple of them because I, I am curious to know how it how it's fed out in terms of like people who actually pay attention to critics. I don't think a lot of people do though. Let's be honest. Like even no. with even with like you know your your theater movies, um, even back before the days of internet, no one really fucking paid attention. Cisco and Ebert was like the only reason they had the following they did was because they had like a TV show. That was it. So, yeah, I mean the only thing I really care about, and and it's something that honestly the critics rarely even talk about, is if 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 the best line or the only good line in a movie is the one in the trailer, that really pisses me off. That's the one thing that I wish a critic would tell me, and they yes. really ever do. Yes, a hundred percent, Madonna. Which I didn't actually feel that was the case in this movie. There are a lot of really funny lines that weren't. I don't think that Holes line was in the trailer. No, there no, were a bunch. I would actually say that the trailer downplayed the movie, like overall. It downplayed the humor, I think, certainly. There were a bunch of trailers, because I watched, I think, three or four of them. So. Yeah. Well, like, to that point we were saying, they, they made a lot of different trailers for different tastes, I think. Like, there was one that was very heavy action. There was one that was a little more Will Smith one-liners. Like, it's so... I don't know. I, yeah, I think we I think we all kind of overall give it a thumbs up. Um, right? Is, is that fair to say? That's fair. Chris Glenn Ebert? <laughs> well, I, I forget how we... How do we rank the movies? So what would you give it out of five stars or five hammer and sickles, which is what we've been using as a metric on the, on our, on our movie review podcast. I'd give it a four. I'd probably give it a four. Um, it had some downsides, but not that many. Uh, and I, but when I watched it the second time, I, I watched it strictly from an analytical point and not from a, do I like it point. And um, again, having done stage combat choreography for ever, I love that part. I love the dialogue. The writing was amazing. Um, I think that the cinematography was really well done. Uh, I I do have a couple issues, which I discussed already. But for the most part, I think it was really, really good. And I think it was very well produced. So kudos to them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I loved Will Smith. I loved Joel Edgerton. I thought he was the, the he stole the show in, in a movie with Will Smith, which is a really tall order, um, <laughs> you know, and I love their chemistry. Uh, I, I really liked the the story. I like the visuals of it. I'm really interested to see uh, what they do in a sequel, maybe with, you know, a, a single, a singular vision where Ayer really has a chance to kind of hone the uh, ideas he started developing in this movie. Um, yeah, I would agree for, for, for uh, hammer and sickles is good. Um, Six in the Tokyo Dome. Only one person listening will get that reference, but it'll be super funny to them. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. So yeah, I, I think that pretty much does it for us on uh, on our bright review. Uh, uh, real, real quick before you end, yeah, let's absolutely. let's let's do a social message recap. Since we got off so many tangents, let's do a social social message recap on the show. Okay. Um, 
So it really hit <clears throat> over the head the, the racial injustice that we're going through currently as a society. Yeah. Um, substitute orc with black. Um, substitute elf with 1%. And substitute white with human. Yeah. Right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. It briefly, subtly touched on the theological differences that we have in society. Uh, so we've got um, basically everything that's being fought over in the movie is about mythology. Yeah, and Shield of Light, all that. Shield of Light, uh, the Inferni uh, are actually kind of their own sect. Yeah. Um, so we've got all that type of, type of issue. Uh, what was the, uh, the, the class we already discussed? Was the 1%. Um, what else was there? There was one more that we touched on. Um, the cop stuff, a little bit corruption. I mean, th- there's a little bit of that. I think that's a little downplayed. I think that, I think that goes into the racism though, because sure. that's kind of what we're going with today too, you know? Um, but yeah, I, just, I wanted to cap it off with that because we did get off on some tangents and that was kind of the whole point of this. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I think we uh, all could say that we're we're interested in the sequel, and uh, I'm sure we'll review that when it happens. Uh, so thanks for joining us. Uh, typically, these are Patreon only. Uh, so if you like what you hear, uh, check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com/slash/MoveLeft. Uh, Three dollars a month gets you access to all of our movie reviews. We've already reviewed They Live. Um, jfk uh this movie and we have a whole slate of others we're going to do about two a month so uh go check us out over there uh if we get some more patreon subscribers over there we may uh even do some additional podcasts and maybe add some additional levels but uh check it out uh again that's patreon.com slash move left uh you could follow us on twitter twitter.com slash move left and for the uh main show archives uh soundcloud.com slash move left and that does it for uh this week uh but check us out next week on our main show and thanks for joining us